of season two. What's up, Anastasia? How was your week? Hard. Week was hard. Week was really, really hard. You know, it's like back to work. And so it's a new grind and a new shuffle. And it's it's going to be interesting to see how balancing stuff happens and stuff. But it definitely has been an interesting week. Um, how about you guys? Like, I feel like I don't know what the moon was doing this week, but maybe the moon was doing something special. And that's why it was a particularly hard week. <laughs> yeah, I don't know um, anything about the moon this past week particularly which is odd for me because i'm usually very in tune with the moon well it was actually cool colors like in new york at least there were a few days where the moon was like super low and like you know that nice orange color pink color so maybe there was something going on but how was the week for you equinox perhaps is that a thing who knows i don't really follow the moon and the equinoxes you brought up the moon well, it was just a weird week. It was like a super weird week. But um, for you, how was it this week? Good. I'm still in North Carolina, hanging out with the parents, seeing the friends, hanging out with Bree's baby. Ah, Breezy. Yes. Uh, Breezy's a friend of ours who, um, spoiler alert, will be on the podcast, but you'll find out then. I actually, something good did happen this week. I got to be a guest on a tech podcast called Apple Time, which is a podcast all about the Apple Watch that I used to listen to all the time. And I got to be a guest on it. And it definitely was a highlight of the week. Um, It's really funny because I have a playlist. I listen to a lot of podcasts, guys. So I have a playlist on my, um, the app that I use to listen to podcasts. And one of them is like tech is labeled tech. So every time I click on it to see what what new podcasts have come up, and literally every time I click it now, the podcast that I recorded is there and it has my name in the title. And every time it just snaps me out and be like, what a year. I can't believe it. Like if you had told me in January that I would be a guest on a TED podcast, I'd be like, eh, probably not. <laughs> but here we are. Bossy. Love Podcaster. it. Podcaster. <laughs> yes. But Let's dive into what is up this week. This is episode three of Non-Traditional, and we got to talk to the lovely, inspiring Sarah Kamya. Yes, what a lovely young lady. Super inspiring, and I, we, we both felt just so proud of her after chatting with her um, during this interview, and uh, she's doing big things for the community with uh, Little Free Diverse Libraries, which we'll talk about in the episode. Um, But yeah, I just think that like, it's really great to see people thriving during this time and not just thriving for themselves, but helping others that are in need and finding some of those pockets that need to be filled. So uh, I don't want to give up way too much, but I just really am excited for you to hear about this project and how you can help her out. Yes, definitely. So let's see you on the other end and talk about it after the episode. Hi. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Hi. Hello. So welcome to the non-traditional podcast. Really great to have you here. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. We're pumped to have you. So for our listening audience who may or may not know you, tell us who you are, what you do, and how you move through this world. Okay. So my name is Sarah. I'm 25 years old, and I am a school counselor at a Title I elementary school in New York City. And I guess I move through the world by trying to help others and lift people up. And through uh, 
you know, my job, I've learned a lot about myself and the world we live in and the students I teach. And I don't know, I just try to help a lot of people and anyone who really comes across my path. Awesome. Question, because I don't know, what is a Title I school? So Title I school means that about 60%, I believe, uh, of the population is low income. So um, most of those students either live in um, government housing or um, they are bused in. And um, it's really interesting to work with that population because the school I work with is on the Upper West Side. And so you can see there's a really big divide between, you know, the differences between students that attend the school. But I will say that all of the students work so well together. And it's such, for the students who are coming from, so our school is attached to like this high-rise building. And for the students who are basically coming down in the morning from these beautiful luxury apartments, but for them to work with the students that are coming across the street from the projects, I think it really lends itself to be such an integrated and collaborative space. And I think that's made possible because of the teachers and because of the parents who are choosing to send their kid there. Um, But it is an interesting thing when you think about it and how they enter, how every kid enters the door, but very different situation. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really awesome. But, um, We'll talk more about that, but let's start a little bit at the beginning. Um, You are a little younger than most of the guests we've already had on this show, Mm -hmm. but I think that's awesome to get such a different perspective. So you're probably closer to this question than most, but what did you want to do when you were little? So I've actually always wanted to be a school counselor, um, which is funny because I am one now. And I... So I had a really great school counselor when I was in middle school and she just really looked out for me and my friends. And I really think that without her, you know, I wouldn't be where I am. And her support was just so necessary. And she was one of the first teachers of color that I had ever worked with. And I think it was just from that relationship and experience that really led me into this field and led me into what I wanted to do. And it wasn't like the clearest, easiest path. Like there was a lot of other things that came up, but I just kind of always knew. Um, and I didn't really have any other thoughts on what I wanted to do. Like this was just always it. Yeah. That's really great. That's awesome. Yeah. When did you just, so you're 25 now. So when did you graduate? So I graduated well three years ago, but you have to go to grad school to be a school counselor. So I graduated again I guess two years ago ish. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're very new to your career, which is basically what you wanted to do when you were little. Right. So you've been a counselor for two years and Mm -hmm. something big is happening at the moment, which is (laughs) affecting all of us, which is COVID. How did that affect your career, which is so new? And what did you do in response to that? Well, I think that it really affected my career because my whole job is face-to-face. Everything I do is in the school building. Once I leave, I don't really have anything I can do. Like sometimes there's emails to be sent or a call that I have to make to a parent, but for the most part, everything is out of my hands when I'm not at the school. And um, when I when we had to go remote, it was really hard because a lot of it is that in-person school connection and working through issues in real time. 
Um, so I guess in some ways it was nice because students weren't getting into fights or into squabbles with each other. So I wasn't really doing that, but I was having to really shift and really hone in on like the social, emotional and well-being of my students. And I think with COVID, I've just noticed how, I mean, disproportionately affected these black and brown students are and you know the calls that we would get or emails saying like this person's parent is sick or this person's family member is this or we haven't seen them online in four weeks because they don't have a laptop mm. um, or they can't pay this bill and that would not be the case at a different school there are other schools where every kid has already had a laptop and this is elementary school so also the way they're learning isn't even developmentally appropriate to be sitting behind the computer like they should not be sitting there so now we're having six-year-olds sit behind a computer or make them get a computer. And it's just, it, it's been wild to see how it really, this, this pandemic and this virus hasn't discriminated and it has, but it has really impacted uh, black and brown communities. Absolutely. Yeah. What are some of the techniques you've used to kind of foster that, you know, obviously you don't want to show bias or favoritism, but knowing the disproportionate effects on black and brown people, what are some of the ways that you as a counselor have helped? And uh, I mean, there's the obvious the elephant in the room, but, you know, I don't know if there's any techniques that you have that maybe other people can use that are listening. Yeah, well, the elephant is, yes, that I am a person of color, which I think has really helped my relationship with the students and has really impacted their, like, development and connection with me. But I think that at the end of the day, it's just, like, understanding that how someone is when they walk through the door. And, like, I try to really think about what they're coming in with and what I'm coming in with and how our experiences, you know, just because I have the same color skin does not mean my experience is actually even close to what they experienced. And right. that's hard for me sometimes because I'm like, I didn't have to deal with that. Um, or I didn't have to go through that um, hardship. Um, and so, you know, it's closing your eyes and just thinking about that student and what they are facing and how you can help them along the way um, and just be there for them, get to know them. And I spent the first, like, honestly, four months just playing like Uno and Jenga in games with my students because that's how we were going to connect. It, it, it didn't matter if I told them, taught them mindfulness techniques in those first four months, they weren't going to listen. And I tried and it, I was like, this isn't going to work. Um, I worked at a different school, um, during my internship and it was predominantly white and it was just so much easier to start those things. Those, I mean, they were older, but it's just, it was, it was so, and, but at the same time, I didn't maybe have the connections I did with those students that I do with mine. And so it's just really building and fostering those connections that are the most important thing to me, because at the end of the day, I can't teach you to take deep breaths. If you can't even trust me when I'm playing an Uno game. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, they're so lucky to have you. Oh, I love them so much. <laughs> That's really awesome. So, um, you know, why you came on my radar and why I really wanted you to be on the podcast is you started pretty much after the event, um, the murder of George Floyd, you started a little, I, I guess I would say it's a, a nonprofit, like an organization, mm -hmm. and it's called Little Free Diverse Libraries. Tell us a little bit about what that is and what it does. Yeah, so I did end up going home once this pandemic started because my New York City apartment was just far too small and it wasn't great here. So I was lucky enough to go home, which is um, a small town right outside of Boston in Massachusetts. And so 
I went home and I was just going on walks every day and I would pass the little free libraries, which are basically these little wooden boxes that you can take a book and leave a book. There's no questions asked. And so I just was looking at all these library boxes and I was just noticing a lot of these boxes didn't have people of color represented. They didn't have authors on work that I have grown to love in them. And it kind of became either a dumping ground for books or it just kind of became this whitewash space. And so I was like, well, this would be honestly easy. My parents have a lot of books and we can just put some books in the library near me and we'll make a little change in this little corner of my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't realize that I would be doing what I do now, which basically is, well, I I can explain that now. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, I uh, started the little free diverse library project where I raised so much money. I just basically put a call out saying, if you grew up in Arlington or if you have been affected or want to do something about um, George Floyd's murder and the Black Lives Matter movement that's resurging right now, donate. And I raised a thousand dollars in the first hour to buy books um, about people of color uh, written by black authors and purchased from black owned bookstores. And so my goal was just to fill my town and then honestly, about a month later, I'd raised about $10,000. I've sent books to all 50 states so that there's a little free library in all 50 states. And one of those has a book with written by a black author or about a black character or black culture and all purchased from black owned bookstores. So it was so cool to see this like thing take over that I just thought was gonna fill like the 10 libraries in my town. And I really never imagined any of this happening. That's so cool. What was your initial response? And what did you, like, did you ever have a moment where you were like, this is kind of overwhelming. What am I going to do yeah. with all these books? Yeah. All these donations? I, yeah, I was, there was, there's, I think I feel that every day still. Yeah. Um, because I'm like, wait, but I, I have a job still. And I did not think I was starting, like, people are like, oh, do you, is this a nonprofit? I'm like, not yet. I don't know. But, um. Yeah, no, when I first put the Venmo request out, um, I remember texting one of my friends. I'm like, oh, it's at 200. Oh, it's 400. Oh my God, it's 800. And then it became 1,000 and then 10,000. And then I was on the Kelly and Ryan show, which was really cool. I saw Um, that. That was awesome. Yeah, that was huge because I also grew up watching American Idol and Ryan Seacrest (laughs) is my life. Ryan Seacrest looks good too. He looks good. He looks good. You held up well. He really has. He really has. (laughs) So that was huge. That was a huge moment. Um, But yeah, the books just started coming in. And this was June. I started June 2nd. So um, I was still in school. School went to June 26th. So there was like 20 days between that time. And I would finish my school day at like four, um, the Zoom. And then I would go downstairs and unbox 40 boxes of books, put a sticker on every book, put a bookmark in every book. At the time, I was laminating my own printing and laminating my own bookmarks which I now look at and I'm like I can't even believe I made these because now I have like nice ones that um a friend made me and we got them officially printed but yeah it really just became like this labor of love I had friends from home who also were home due to the pandemic unboxing with me every day and something I think I've shared but maybe not as much in depth is just we would have all my friends from my hometown are white And we had such great conversations on my porch, unboxing these books, opening up these books and 
having real conversations and being like, why did this book exist when we were in school? And oh my gosh, can I please borrow that book? I'm like, take it, take it. And so that was really special and something I really, really loved about this whole project um, taking off. The first, I mean, why this project just resonated with me so well is that it's all about exposure and telling our stories because I Mm -hmm. always feel if we just knew each other Mm -hmm. a lot more, we would see our similarities and our differences, but it it would be a little bit more equitable instead of just being this stranger far away that you have assumptions about. And I really love that this exposes people in all 50 States. I think that's like remarkable. Um, to something that they, like you said, like your friend said, they'd never, why wasn't this available? It probably was, but it just, that um, accessibility was not there. How do you think we can, I mean, you're doing great, but even in your school, for example, how do you think we can start changing this sort of weird system of not having all of these books accessible to everyone or people saying, oh, I didn't know that that was a thing. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I think it, it does start with the systems because, you know, when you're growing up, you're the only place you really, if you're lucky and able, you, the only place you read books are in school. Um, that's where you learn to read. That's where you learn to write. So, I mean, your family may have books. That's great. But you spend most of your time in school growing up. Um, and so it starts in that, in that system. And there are so many teachers who have messaged me saying, I just got this for my classroom or my, my class reads this every, every year in October. And I'm like, great. Like, but it starts kind of there. And I know at my school, um, a lot of the teachers are really conscious of the books that are chosen and um, the books that are read. Um, But they, they've told me, they've been like, wow, I have to add that book to my, our class library. And these class libraries, especially in schools like mine, which is um, the title one school, these kids don't have access to, oh, I'm going to go to Barnes and Noble with my, with my parents this weekend. We're going to pick out 10 books. Books are expensive. I've learned that through this project. Yes, they're like $7 in summer, $7.35, but like the nice hardcover ones are nice. I mean, they're all nice, but the, the popular ones are about $17. That's a lot of money. Like when I buy them with the money donated, I'm like, oof. Like yeah. That's hard for me. And so the parents don't, you're not just going out buying a $17 book every day. So in classroom libraries are so important. So um, continuing on with your question, that's why I think it's so important for schools to have these little free libraries, because once a book is in these libraries, there's no strings attached. The person takes it, it's gone. It's not a library return. You don't have to pay someone back for it. It's gone and it's all good. And so for my school, I know that the Little Free Library organization is actually donating one to us, which is going to be amazing because it's right. Our school is right across from where majority of our students live, and so for them to have access to just hop across the street, grab a book one night, especially with remote learning still continuing, I think it's going to be so important because they're not going to have access to their classroom libraries as they once had. But yeah, it's just it's. I think it starts in schools and in larger systems. Like I talked to um, someone who works at a hospital and they were saying these books need to be in waiting rooms. Mm. Um, and it's, it's down to every last space that we're in. If you can think of a space where you would pick up a magazine, that magazine needs to reflect, you know, so living. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think that parents can be doing in conjunction with the literature you're providing specifically mm-hmm. parents mm-hmm. that are not of color? <laughs> right. So, I think, I mean, it's, 
I think parents need to like lean into these books and they need to not just get them because they're like, oh, I got a book about black hair right? and not explain what that means. And um, a story I shared when I was starting this project is that I was babysitting and the family I was babysitting for, their daughter who was three years old looked at me and told me she didn't like my skin. And that's why she didn't like me. Mm. So I told the mom, and the mom was mortified. Yeah. And she was like, but we have dolls and we read books. And I was like, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. You have to do more. You can read a book about hair love, but you need to explain it. And of course, your three-year-old daughter may not understand what that some of those things mean. But you taking the time to explain it is you explaining it to yourself as well. Because you don't know either, yeah. probably. Um, so I think it's just fostering those questions and allowing conversations to occur and not and if you say I don't I don't know why she wraps her hair at night finding out why just like you would for some other reason um and I have had really great conversations with parents who said uh, non-colored parents and they've said you know this has made me really open my eyes to books to read to my kid and going off of that there's so many books that are about black culture and teach about culture about black culture but there's also a lot of books that are just a black character doing what anyone else could do. Right. Like and that's riding a bike. That's a quality right there. When we can make like mediocre books and content. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like yeah. my favorite book is, uh, one of my favorite books is Jabari Jumps. And it's literally about a little black boy who is jumping off a diving board and is scared. And his dad is there to help him jump. And really it's a cool. great like summer read. And it's so cute. And in my eyes, I'm like, I, I don't even realize like, yeah, Jabari but like for some other people that might be really shocking. Like why is, why is this character Jabari? Um, and why is this book not about him being black? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but Absolutely. it's a good one. Absolutely. Yeah. On that, on that same note, I know you mentioned the bookmark and that you had originally mm. laminated and then upgraded. And I, I don't know if you still have the James Baldwin quote, but I thought it was yeah. so beautiful that quote, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. I'd love to know like what that means to you. And in conjunction, like, well, who are your, some of your favorite authors that inspired Mm -hmm. you, you know? Yeah. Well, I think I saw that quote like early on into, I don't know, something on Instagram. And I was just realizing like, that's exactly what I'm doing. You know, not like nothing. I'm putting these books into these libraries so that change can be made, but it can't be made until someone opens that book or faces that, issue or someone or someone sees themselves represented um then change can be made so um yeah I that really stuck with me some of my favorite authors are I don't know there's a lot I've honestly read books from like baby books to like adult books at this really old adult books too at this point but um I'm reading Trevor Noah's book right now Born a Crime and everyone's it's so good. And everyone's told me like, it's going to be like, blow your mind. Um, and then I really like Tamara Pizzoli. I actually just shared about her, but she wrote Tallulah, the Tooth Fairy CEO. And it is the best book I've ever read because Ooh. it's for kids, but it's about the Tooth Fairy and that she's a CEO and she runs her own business, which is the Tooth Fairy business. And she has board meetings and she gets drinks with Mrs. Claus and she is the coolest. <laughs> <laughs> It is so good. I I'm obsessed, and um, it's really good. Wow! Um, Go off, yeah. Mary. I know, right? And so 
she's amazing and she has other great books like she wrote one about the coronavirus and how Tallulah goes off and like takes a leave of absence from her she's very biz to handle COVID and she's just incredible she's amazing her Tallulah book, her I was I, you I'm have a, to get I'm it. I'm a fully grown woman and I'm about to get this children's book. <laughs> no, you have to. My parents, we all sat and had, because at one point I was getting like 17 copies of one book. We all just would sit and read and we were cracking up at that book. <laughs> I, I love it. But she's great. And I don't know, there's just so many good authors. I just finished Austin Channing Brown's book, I'm Still Here. If you haven't read it, it's so, so good. Basically, the, for in the first page, she says that her name is Austin, and the reason she was named Austin is so that on job interviews, people would think she's a boy. Mm. So she would be a little further through the door. And I was like, whoa, genius. But also, that's so sad. That's so and sad, yeah. It, it's a quick read, but it's really good because she talks about how she grew up in a very predominantly white community and then moved to a black community. She was like, what am I? Um, that book is really good, but I just learned so much from all these authors and I still have so much to keep reading. And a lot of people ask me like for recommendations and I do my own research after that. And so I'm kind of this little like book hub for people that I didn't expect to be, but I love it. And it's taught me so much. Yeah. Really so has. what do you think, I mean, I don't, you know, little free diverse libraries isn't going anywhere. It seems to only be getting bigger. What does the future hold? Like, are you going to go full in on this? Are you going to do both? Like what? I just feel like it it became so big. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What what do you see? I'm sorry. In a good way. It's like so good, but I just started my job Um, and I will never leave my job. Um, but I think that my, where I see it going is that I want there to be a little free library at every school or at every title one school or organization that works with these minority populations. For a while, I started this project to help educate white folk. And I still think that's super important. But through this project, I've just learned more and more about how black people and brown people haven't been themselves and what that can do to -hmm. build them up and I think that's just as important if not more in some ways to me and you know when I've been sending I've sent out books off at these states but I realized like the people who reach out to me are maybe weller off people who live in predominantly white communities and I'm so glad to get those books there but now I want to like turn the page (laughs) and um kind of shift to another population so that's kind of my goal is to have libraries to go to organizations and help support them with stocking their library fulfilling that and making that commitment um and you know beyond that there are white communities that are making little free diverse libraries there are probably 15 to 20 instagram accounts now like little free diverse Colorado, Little Free Diverse, blah, blah, blah. And they're white communities who are dedicating themselves to these diverse books, which is huge. So yeah, I think it's just to keep that going, get these libraries everywhere, and also just bring these authors and these stories to the forefront. Um, They don't need to like be featured on a wall at a bookstore. They can just be there, you know, like next to the other great books. So that's kind of what I hope to do. And I have gotten to work really closely with some black-owned bookstores, which is awesome, but um, it's just to continue to, 
you know, amplify and empower these black voices, which is kind of like my namesake for this whole thing. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So I know you're just budding in your career now. We just talked about you just graduated a couple of years ago, but is there a time that you quote unquote failed that you think brought you to this current success? I mean, that could be coronavirus, to be honest. (laughs) But I mean, I I don't know if that could be while you were in school, anything. Yeah, I think, I don't know, I think I failed. I mean, a lot of different times in different ways. I think for, for starters, I failed when I first entered school. And I knew I wanted to be a school counselor, but I didn't like find the easiest path to get there. And so I changed around my major and I changed around different things, which, you know, no one helps you through those things, which I now look back and I think to myself, like, where are those people to help you? So I failed in the sense of not really seeking it um, and making it harder for myself when I could have sought out some help, but it is hard when it's not as available. But it definitely taught me that if there's something I want to do and I can't find an answer, that someone has one and to go after that. Um, so I feel there just because it it gets messy in college when you're shifting around your major. It just, I don't know, it's kind of annoying. <laughs> and then I would say I failed, or maybe not failed, but I, when I was in grad school, I worked like two jobs at once. And that was really hard for me because I couldn't give my sole attention to something. and I was also working in spaces that, you know, I haven't really been represented, represented. So I was um, just kind of not I, like coming to terms with who I was. And I was living in New York City for the first time, but doing things that didn't really align with who I was in some ways. Like I, I loved my jobs and I really liked the people I worked with. But now when I'm in this new school and this new setting, I feel the most myself that I ever have. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's just being in spaces and not feeling like myself. And I feel like I failed myself in those moments because I have so much to give. And I honestly can't say that this project wouldn't have started if I wasn't working at the school I was at right now. If I was at a really up, upscale, wealthy school, I genuinely do not know if this would be started. And that's like my full honesty. And I think that I failed in the sense where I haven't leaned into those parts of me um, and have acknowledged like my strengths in those places because um, now this is this. <laughs> well, I love that you're you're kind of filling all of those needs that you just listed. And for right. context, I asked that question because I think what people end up realizing is that you know, thank God for those failures, you know what I mean? And I think that you should be so thankful because you're feeling a need that so many people are just grateful for, myself included. I can't wait to go check out the books that you just gave out. So feel good about yourself, girl, if you don't already. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We're definitely going to put all those books in the show notes and I'm going to read them all. But, you know, (laughs) just going off of what Jen said and you, like, it's right. I mean, I'm older than you, for example, mm-hmm. but I went through exactly what you did. I remember when yeah. I first started out and when I first moved to New York, you know, you're the only one in your work environment and you just mm-hmm. tend to sort of do things to fit in that now looking back, you're like, what? I would never, that's not right. who I am and that's not who I want to be. But right. I think through the process of learning, failing and learning and failing and learning, you you sort of become who you are in your fullest form. And, you know, I think a theme of this show, maybe we should change the name of the show, Jen. To what? Non-traditional failure. 
Yeah, there we go. <laughs> we should say to we love failure. We love failure. We're all about it. We're all about it. But yeah. I think it's a lot of people are so afraid to fail and it mm-hmm. does two things. It holds you back mm-hmm. because you want everything to be perfect. You don't want to fail. So, you know, it, it kind of holds right. you back. But at the same time, most of our biggest successes have come from the fact that we failed and then we tried something new. And then exactly. We to do but Not exactly. a body word anymore. <laughs> I know that you're you're getting tons of books and tons of donations, but how can people support you? Um, do you want do you want to steer people in a certain direction? Do you want you know like do you want more deliveries to your home? Do you want more donations that you can distribute? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think I mean here's the hard thing. I don't love Amazon, right? And my whole project started with supporting Black-owned businesses, and when a like Eva Chen, who's an incredible. Um, author like huge in fashion she shared this project and that's kind of what took it to another level and together we came up with the idea of making an amazon wish list which makes it Sorry, so possible chen? eva chen, eva chen. E- okay. yeah and she works so for she- um she works for instagram and she's like yeah. a big fashion person okay. she's also i saw this on like an article and it was like head of fashion at instagram and i was like what does that mean i know <laughs> Like they're, yeah. they're head of fashion at Instagram. Yeah, yeah, large. Okay, cool, major. Yeah, no, she's really cool though, and she does a lot of amazing work, and really yeah. likes to like highlight other people's platforms. And uh, she's great. She's awesome. And she wrote this book called A is for Awesome, and she highlights like different um, people. She really um, loves Oprah too. Like she is a she loves she's Oprah. Who does not love Oprah? I have questions so about true. that person. <laughs> but I think Ava yeah. Chen is like her super fan. Like okay, fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so anyway, she was like, "Let's make an Amazon wish list," which honestly has made. I mean, the reason my dining room is covered with books um, was because of that. And so, I guess I've ordered over two thousand books, but I've also received about eight hundred. And so I'm just like. Amazon's not the best, but also I have 2,800 books that are now dispersed, so I can't hate it. So anyways, people can send me books if that's easier. Some people would rather just click. And then I have a Venmo, um, which maybe eventually I'm going to have to figure out a different platform because it's really gotten big. But um, yes, like I, I can't really Venmo my friends back anymore. I'm like, sorry, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're um, like, this is like all of my business. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like... You got this one? So, um, cash app, so, y'all? Anybody? Right, right, right. <laughs> so, anyways, my Venmo, which is just my name, Sarah Dash Kamya, or Amazon, or just buy a book yourself and then read it and enjoy it and then put it in a library. Yeah. The Little Free Library website has a map, and there's, I, I haven't really come across one that's not within like a five mile radius. Um, and if you don't live in the city and you have a car, it's really easy and honestly fun to go drive and drop these books off um and so I think if you have a book or if you've read a book or if you find one um like for parents who have kids who've grown up I'm sure there's a book hopefully in your basement or somewhere that may represent a black person or be written by a black author that you can put into a little library so that's kind of what I say for people to do it's still just you right Sarah just doing this all by yourself well, yes, it's just me, but like my parents kind of are holding it down at home because yeah. I, le- I left them with a library and an, an address on the Amazon wish list. 
Mm, um, P.O. box. She said, here's my parents. I know. I know. <laughs> and then I have like some, my friends who still are there will help them unbox. But yeah, it's just me. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, what do you think the future holds? think that, I don't know. I'm probably going to need more help eventually. I think that the school year will definitely show me more of what I might need. I you start after I mean, so, day, right, so that's coming up. Yeah, September tenth. So I mean, as long honestly as if my posts are scheduled and I have the content, then it's kind of all good. And if I'm able to, you know, at some point just highlight other libraries and other books that are coming out, I think that's kind of what's important. Um, I think that it's just continuing to spread the message and amplify these voices, and however that continues it continues um but it's definitely just I mean I have to lean on others for support and I'm sure I will in the fall um but I don't know I kind of take you I say one day at a time one book at a time yes we're gonna I I've made it this far somehow so yeah yeah that's fine and people will start to pick you up along the way that will help you and want to yeah business grow yeah 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 it's really great I mean just to sort of wrap it all up, what do you, what advice do you have for someone who maybe is trying to find a way to affect their community for the better, mm-hmm. use their skills um, that they have from their career to affect their industry or, you know, the areas where they live? What advice do you have for them? I think my advice is just to not question it. You know, there are so many people who've messaged me saying, did you do this first or did you do that? I'm like, I didn't, I didn't do anything. I literally just did it, mm-hmm. which sounds, I don't know. There's no other way to put it. Just, just do it. Like it's just, I mean, of course, if you have to check with like a city council member before you cut down a tree, do that. But if, if it's, if it's going to go out and do something helpful for someone, then I think that do it. and then where it goes I think that you know ideas are so strong and this has shown me and I've tried to tell my students that no idea is too big or too small you literally can do it and if this had grown to only my a thousand followers and my a thousand dollars and that's what it would be but that's a thousand more things than it would have ever been mm-hmm. um, and now yes it's huge and I did not expect it but I think that you just have to if you have an idea and it's worth fighting for then you can reach out for others for support and just do it because wow. it can leave such a good impact on others Beautiful. don't question it <laughs> when, when someone questions they're like have you I'm like no haven't thought about that one yet right. well and it's like yeah, there's no try only do kind of thing right we right. talked about this um yes so. yes we did <laughs> we talked about this because I think you know there, there are people out there that want to talk about it and there's people out there that want to do it and this is something you kind of seem to stumble upon but you are in certain ways prepared right right right, right. exactly um so we ask all of our guests this question and I want to know okay. what abundance means to you mm, I think abundance means you know, feeling fulfilled with the things that bring you any kind of emotion. Because I try to teach my students that no emotion is good or bad. And it's good to feel full of everything and to feel everything. And so I think abundance just means feeling it all, um, enjoying it all, living through it all. And I don't know, being okay with what that is, whatever that is. 
Um, and I think that I felt full before this project started with my job. I feel just as full now. And um, I don't know, just to soak it in and to like let it be a part of you. Um, yeah, and just carry it with you. So like when you're feeling abundant, just like carry it and or leave little parts of it where you go. But it's just like it fills you up. Mm. Counselor for the world, y'all. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> this is really Aww. awesome, Sarah. Like I learned so much just talking to you and um, yeah, this, this, this has been great. Thank you for coming on to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. This is so great. Girl, we can't wait to see you shine. Oh, thank you. Hopefully I'm on Oprah one day. Girl, I see <laughs> we'll it. See. She loves a book. Sarah Kamia, what an inspiration. Boss lady, all day. You know, it's one of those things where I think it's really hard to see the good out of 2020 sometimes. Like it's been such a year, but listening to someone like Sarah and hearing her stories where she saw a hole in her community. She saw something that she wanted to fix in her community. And it was something so small. She's just started in her own little neighborhood. She saw a problem and she went for it to try and fix it and ended up impacting the entire country. Mm -hmm. Little free diverse libraries are in all 50 states. And that is something that I'm sure she didn't expect when she started it. But I think that is something that we should all learn from and be open to. You never know what little seed you plant and what it grows up to be and what fruit can come of it. So I'm, I was really proud of her. I've known her for a little bit and just to see her blossom and grow. I love these sort of stories where, you know, you're just starting out your career. And I think sometimes with um, non-traditional, we're talking to people who have achieved so much already and like are way deep into their career and have years and years behind them. And it's so great to interview someone like Sarah, who's just starting out. Yes. Yes. And it, be, catching somebody, like you said, at the beginning of their career is really great because she's definitely our youngest uh, guest. And but had such amazing words to say about her journey. I, one thing I love that she said, she said that if this had grown to only my 1,000 followers, that's fine, but that's a thousand more things than it would ever be. That really hit home for me um, because I think a lot of people do have trouble kind of starting and she's just a great example of just go for it. And I think for me, I, I think because we have had listeners that are a little bit more experienced, the failure question doesn't knock them off their feet so much. And I was, I was, I felt bad after I asked her that because I was like, no, you're not a failure. You're great. And I had to like make that clear. You are a hundred percent not a failure um, because I think there does come a little bit of perspective with time and she's in the thick of this amazing project. So um, Sarah, if you're listening, we love you and you are crushing it. So thank you for giving us your time. Um, we're so proud of you. Yeah. And please, guys, head over to Little Free Diverse Libraries, always looking for books, see what you can do to help. Maybe you don't have one in your neighborhood and you would like to start a mini project. Reach out to Sarah and uh, let's, let's spread the information and the knowledge and the love in our society today because we need it. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Sarah. And go check out her Instagram. It's so cute and you'll be inspired. 
Okay, see you next week, guys. Non-traditional is produced and edited by me, Anastasia. And our theme song is Wildfire by Esabalu, and you can find it wherever you purchase music. You can find us on Instagram at non, that's N-O-N-E, underscore traditional, and Twitter at TraditionalPod. Subscribe to our newsletter on our website and keep up to date on all things non-traditional. Wildfire.